gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 65, the, resu- re- the review segment for Friday, April 3rd, 2015, the year of our time, Lord Dr. Emmett Brown. Uh, we're going to review Fast and Furious 7. Or, wait, is it Fast 7? No, Furious 7? What is it? Furious 7. Furious 7. Is that the official title? Yes, that's what comes by when Vin Diesel Fast drives five. through the desert and the dust picks up and it, it becomes the title. Furious Six, and then also Furious Seven. No, I think it was Fast and Furious Six, and now they no, finally got I their think way with the title. There was a really? retcon that happened. I don't. I think because the title only no, said Furious it is, Six. It is no, the title in Wiki- the movie said Furious Six, but Wikipedia promotional has Fast material. and Furious Six. IMDb just has Furious Six. Wow, that's that's because after the movie came out, people started calling it Furious Six, but before that, no one really knew what it was called. That's how awesome okay. the movie was. No one knew what it was called. <laughs> Blockbuster, completely unknown to the world. Okay. Uh, Furious 7. It's another Fast and Furious movie. It is the last one that Paul Walker will be in because he died while it was in production. Uh, Jason Statham is the villain this time. Uh, he is the... Okay, help me out here. He's the brother of the guy who Luke Evans played He's last the brother time. of Lucas Shaw. You might recall that Luke Evans was in the previous movie. I kind of barely did. Um but Jason and, Statham's yeah. character is out for revenge. His name point. is Deckard Shaw. Yes, and he's British and Jason Statham-y. And uh, so for a while, our gang is kind of trying to get back at Jason Statham because he is uh, targeting them, as you might remember from the closing credits of the previous movie. And then after a while, uh, Kurt Russell plays a guy who makes them the MacGuffin of all MacGuffin offers that uh, if they help him find this thing... That's pretty powerful. It's called the God's Eye. Uh, I, you know, Please. I'm honestly trying not to overly complicate it by explaining what that thing is. I am so sick of these fucking MacGuffins on my motherfucking plane that are about <laughs> a technology that hacks into something and allows you to, to see do this everything. and that. Have magical Tech, powers. MacGuffins are so boring in the digital age. Well, the introduction of the USB drive was kind of the best and worst thing that could happen. Right. They're, they, they spend this and movie never, chasing a, a, a flash drive. How many more years of that do we have I left? Mean, how many like, years of chasing microfilm are there? I never, I never understood why they – I mean we'll roll back to the beginning in a second. But why they – the guy – she sold it to the guy for all this money – and he like put it in his car. No, he didn't. Get, she he didn't make, she uh, gave it to her friend. And her friend uh, and her friend whatever. sold whatever. it. Prince. Okay, so. because uh, the Prince of Abu Dhabi, the Best Buy wasn't open the Sunday when he <laughs> needed a flash drive to get his homework <laughs> off his computer, so he had to to pay a million dollars for a flash drive that he left in his car for all eternity. We are so ahead of whatever this movie is about. Yeah, so uh, they have to find this flash drive and the hacker who made it. Uh, and then they wind up uh, going around the world trying to either get the flash drive or Jason Statham or sometimes. Both. Well, that, that's the amazing thing. This, well, this no, is Jason supposed Statham to be is this just like following them around. Okay, so yeah. So the, the hilarious thing about the MacGuffin of this movie is that <laughs> they are told that if they get this flash drive for Kurt Russell, he will then let them use it so that they can find him and you know be able to get back at him. <laughs> Except that <laughs> everywhere they go, Jason Statham <laughs> follows them. It's as if he's always fucking there. It's but as if but he's, like been assigned to follow them. Would you disagree that unless they were chasing that 
he would not be following no, them anywhere. So you'd still need them. to do it. He's he's trying he, to kill them. If in they the sat on their asses right. having a family barbecue in L.A., so he would. The show weird up thing there. about this movie is that like, it could be Terminator. They could just be driving around L.A. trying to run away from Jason Statham, but it has to be a global adventure. So they make this whole get the flash drive plot well, think, in order for them to have something to do that's not just kill Jason Statham. I mean, I think of it as it can be a global adventure. I mean, the amount of fun they have with the locations they get. But he's not trying to do anything but kill them. So you can't have a movie where the the, the bad guy's plot is to kill the main characters because then they have nothing to do but wait until he shows up. They, they yes. kind of wrote themselves into a corner, which seems impossible for a fast movie to write itself into the corner. <laughs> this is why Deckard Shaw anywhere. and Lucas Shaw's brother, uh, George Bernard Shaw, should have <laughs> been hired to write... Oh, you've the been, screenplay. You've been waiting to make that joke for a while. Huh? Um, <laughs> all of my subway ride back from Furious Seven. Anyway, <laughs> I mean the way I, I think that the globe trotting is both silly and incredibly satisfying because they get they have the money to do all this running around. They get to have a big uh, chase scene on a highway in the Caucasus uh, Mountains, like very. The, yeah, this this series is uh, second to the James Bond movies. And perhaps the trip movies, the series most dependent on globetrotting. I mean, it was completely reinvigorated by Tokyo Drift, the third film. Yeah. Um, and the fourth film was sort of moribund by taking place in, I guess, Mexico and also the United States. But ever since then, when it found the rocket fuel of Fast Five, which was predominantly set in Brazil, and then six took place all over the place, and seven as well, I think that, uh, you know, fast cars in different places is with different different kinds of women. Yeah. Is more or less the uh, the equation. Yeah, here. so you get to watch them going on uh, mountain roads. Well, they go to, to Azerbaijan them. is where the mountain roads are. Yes. Which is like I don't think any any movie's ever gone to Azerbaijan. Well, See? that's probably not. The true. Azerbaijan Tourism Bureau or wherever <laughs> they actually filmed it is probably excited. But I think it's Toronto. To, uh, they go to Abu Dhabi and they're driving cars through skyscrapers as you've seen in the trailers and then they go to well, there's a warehouse scene that's not that interesting, and then they go back to Los Angeles, and there's this enormous set set piece on the streets of Los Angeles where they're going home, and it's really, I mean, like any fast movie, it's just kind of set up as a series of set pieces. And what's I really enjoyed about this movie is I think the set pieces are really well done. It's the first movie that James Wan has directed, and I think he kind of, you know, it's a mixed bag. Like some of his stuff is pretty promising, and some of it is a little muddled. But I think he does do a really good job of kind of directing these set pieces like the set pieces they are, like really narrowing in and being like, this is what you came here to see. We are going to lovingly photograph this car well, crashing through a sky. What's he, funny is that all the, all the movies... Well, I, t- I actually disagree with you, David, because all the movies have had this goal to just be fun, to just be this high-octane set piece and then fill it with some schmaltzy family drama, but get back to the action. It's all about the goofy action. And I think Justin Lin... Drops the ball, especially in Furious Six, a piece of crap. Well, Furious Six is just a garbage and, and movie, Furi- and everyone knows and it. And Fast Five for me is is a not a good movie. But the last thirty minutes that we all remember are, is fantastic. But remember, there's like two hours before that that don't matter, and it's horrible. Like foot chases across the roofs of whatever. I would never call that. This movie is about car action, and that's why it is superior to every movie that Justin Lin has directed in this series. Um, not Tokyo Drift. I don't count that, Absolutely really. I'm talking post-racing. Post no, post-racing. It's a totally different franchise. Yeah, I mean, it's not about racing anymore at all. Right, but it, this movie is about car 
car stunts and a lot of it, I mean, very little CG, I would suspect. I mean, some of the stuff like dropping planes out of the sky, a lot of that was shot in real life. You could tell uh, supplemented by CG and obviously driving a car out of a giant skyscraper in Abu Dhabi is is amplified by CG, but it's done right. Like it, it really thrilled me in a way <laughs> that I wasn't ready. Amplified. That is a very generous description of how they uh, created the cars leaping between well, skyscrapers. Why, why was I having such a, a, a thrill, this sensation of thrill in that sequence when we know what's going to happen, then we know they're going to make it and it's such CG garbage, but like compared it's to everything in Furious 6 is just really... It's because well, the, that, a stunt like that is so insane and such like a big, bold idea that you enjoy it, not just because it looks great, but because you're well, like, holy cow, I can't believe it. Exactly, the CG drives is, us forward into practical stunts when they hit the ground inside of one of these... Uh, skyscrapers that they're jumping from, those are real. And that's mm-hmm. the sensation we feel. We hit, the, we feel that the car hitting the ground running and Juan gets all of that. And he does it but with the fight certain, scenes too. At a certain point, he crosses a threshold and, and you can see this chronologically in the movie. I mean, I think that sequence, the, the best part of the movie is uh, indisputably the mountain, the, the chase in the Caucasus Mountains, whatever, when they drop the cars yeah. out of the plane. Um, and the Abu Dhabi sequence that follows after that is not too pale of an imitation, but once the movie settles in Los Angeles, it has a truly interminable clawing at my eyeballs. Get me out! <laughs> it of reminded the movie me of the Lost World when the Tyrannus, when the T Rex shows up to it San Diego. It is fucking awful with the <laughs> drone and the Rock speaking in a way that that strikes me as vaguely misogynistic. I don't know. No, I'm not sure when he it. when he says "woman." woman I, I am the. the <laughs> I am several the Several times in the movie. I guess this is his entire character is to be large and uh, a, a living cartoon in a way that despite his pools of head sweat, he was not in previous films. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who flexes to break his arm cast in this movie. Yes, he does. Um, but there's a, a drone and everything else. It's really the, the maybe the low point of the Fast and Furious series since, I don't know, the runway from That's Furious so 6. That's so funny. I completely disagree. <laughs> I, I do not accept This it. is the highlight. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about that sequence, which you do not agree, which you do not that think se- is the highlight. No, that sequence come on. goes on oh, no, for no, no, a really no. long time. Um, the, the conclusion but, uh, is not the best sequence. It, it fizzles uh, out. But actually, there's an amazing fight between Vin Diesel and uh, Jason, Jason Statham, Statham, which I there think has like... There is nothing amazing about Jason Statham. This movie, as not unlike much of Hollywood, has a major villain problem. Jason Statham is a non-character in this film. He is boring as fuck. But that's why they don't I, like, let him take the, the, the spotlight. Whereas Lucas, whatever his name is, uh, from the Furious 6, was like the real enemy that they were tracking down. But he was so boring. It was so bad. And that's why that movie is bad. But here they have something else. Like it's just mission, mission, mission. It's basically a Mission Impossible movie. Plus you have the added bonus of Jason Statham as a T2 or T100 or whatever uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's robot is and and just pursuing them constantly. It follows. It's the sequel that follows. Jason Statham follows. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, I I thought Fast Five was successful because it struck – a balance between the cartoon mayhem that the CG allows and the practical weight of everything. And also, you know, the, these themes of family and, and whatnot that are repeated ad nauseum. <laughs> That's what um, really strikes you. It's those themes and, of family. And, no, but I think that the, the while the third movie is my favorite, I think the fifth is the most successful blend of all the disparate elements that make the Fast and Furious series what it is. This movie starts with a ridiculous credit sequence uh, in which Jason Statham, it doesn't really make any sense. He wants good medical care for his brother, so he murders everyone. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I think he's stepping um, out of the crank films and into the Furious yeah, franchise with that it, it, sequence. It, it, locates this movie in a 
cartoon world that I don't think it ever really recovers from. And it's an uneasy fit with the very sincere tribute to Paul Walker and his dismissal from the movie, which builds to... Oh, no, you're talking about the character's dismissal, not like Paul Walker. Yeah, okay. Did I did I even say the word dismissal? Yeah. You just made it sound like Paul Walker had gotten fired for a second, which is... (laughs) You got let go. Not what happened. Uh, Well, um, but I... I, You know, when they build to this in memoriam in a feature film, which is a bizarre thing to see. Uh, it, it just doesn't sit well with how cartoonish the movie was. And suddenly it goes, no, 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 no. But like lower the lights for a second. Um, I'm not <laughs> saying that it, it's, it's very manipulative and, and of course uh, sincere. I, I believe wholeheartedly that everyone who part of these movies loved Paul Walker. And it's of course a tragedy that he died. But um, I, I think that, the emotional send off actually exposes how bullshit and uh, and hollow the family message. The rest of the movies are, though. I will say before I turn it over that I continue to appreciate the diversity that these this franchise espouses, in, in a, which is unlike anything else that you see in a, a huge, huge movie. Actually, franchise. I heard Deadline thinks it's too black. Oh, no. it's, it's uh-huh. Overly ethnic. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, there are still girls of all different races shaking their butts for a living. Apparently, this is all they so do. So much they go to TNA race in this movie, and, uh, and so many low in, angle women shots. Playing security guards in headscarves who get a big fight scene against Michelle Rodriguez. Like that's got to be a first in an American movie. Oh, um, you know what the series lost me was amnesia. That's the whole thing. <laughs> the amnesia that is, is at the heart. Of, of why I cannot give a shit about any of the stuff that's happening. Amnesia seldom works as a plot device. And certainly, I mean, they, they turn it into an almost Douglas Cirque-like Technicolor soap opera, this movie, um, which is really the direction the franchise has been driving in for a little while now. But And, and the Amnesia driving. is obviously a, yes, a uh, key part of that. But they, they, they lean on it so much. It cannot support the dramatic weight that it has to carry. And it's getting ridiculous. I'm, I'm going to steal this from you for a second and turn it to Katie because – Katie, I was laughing at this movie, and I haven't laughed with joy since I in a long time ever. I've never have. Um, certainly not, not even, at a furious not even movie. In Fast Five, which I was, uh, which I'm kind of still kind of blown away by. No, I was maybe smiling at the end of Fast Five, but ugh, I was not having fun at any of these movies. But I was, I was enjoying Furious Seven's sense of humor. It seemed to get to blend the comedy and the action and the heart, whatever this really schmaltzy stuff is. Uh, it worked for me. Did it work for you? This movie is legitimately funny. I think it has to do with James Wan, which I'm surprised to say. Yeah, I mean, well, I wonder if it, I don't know how much it has to do with James Wan or just kind of what the franchise has been building towards. I mean, it's been, you know, The Rock says, put your thunderpants on in Fast Five, like one of the first times you see him on screen. So it's kind of known that it's been going toward that for a long time. But I don't think that I don't think that it takes away like the cartoonist doesn't take away from the heart of it to me. Like, I think that's all kind of part of it. Like Tyrese and Ludacris have kind of the all, like a lot of the comic relief. Scenes. OK, Tyrese Wait, is awful. Ludacris, Tyrese oh, Ludacris is awful. was in this one. Yeah, yeah Ludacris yeah. is the yeah. tech guy. He's yeah, great. He's Actually, with, uh, Natalie Emanuel and uh, on the computers the whole time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so when we I, when we split all these people into their own vehicles in the expanded universe of this uh, franchise, uh, <laughs> Ludacris and Natalie Emanuel get their own black hat movie. I love how they can never carpool in the Fast and Furious <laughs> no. series. No, they finally they never, do. <laughs> they, I mean, like Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez share a car early in the film, but every time the team drives anywhere, they're all behind the wheel of their own yeah, car. Yeah, they look awesome driving past cameras. Because <laughs> fuck the environment. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, and fuck every city that they completely destroy in the process of whatever they're trying they to They need that. 
Fabulous. But I mean, this is also me like loving The Rock under all circumstances. But I don't think the cartooniness of that character like takes away from because he's not part of the whole family thing. Like he's part of it. He's kind of like the he's like the Kramer who comes and hangs out with him once in a while, but like isn't like. The, isn't they a friend the way that everybody Yes, else but is. Dominic like, Toretto friends. does not have friends, so you're either family or That's you're not. True. So is But even in <laughs> Furious Six, you would there would be no place for a scene like that opening scene between The Rock and Jason Statham where he's like, You're on the wrong computer or whatever, and then they, they fight because he's just waltzed in and, and sat down at the Rock's computer. I mean, like that was was so out of another world that even the Fast and Furious movies uh but there's, had more it, that's integrity. Limited than that. Because I mean, this might be a disappointment to some, but Dwayne The Rock Johnson is not in the movie that no. much. He gets a funny bit in the beginning and some funny bits at the end, but this is really the core team doing what they do, and and I think that's why, I mean, if I like any of Justin Lin's post-racing movies, it's probably Fast and Furious more than anything, just because that's it's why like that scene smaller, is- more intimate uh, car racing. Like, the stuff through the hills is incredible. The team working together, real car stunts, Tony Yaw, for some reason... I want to take a minute to say that Paul Walker in a hoodie will not beat Tony Yaw in whatever Tony Yaw is wearing. That is bullshit. I completely forgot he was in this movie. There is. Yeah. I, I forgot Ludacris is in this movie. I mean, I saw this movie a few days ago. It's uh, it, really all I remember are the cars and the jumping and the family. But some of the acting is legit good. Like, uh, Michelle Rodriguez does it for me. I don't know. I I'm in. And if she's schmaltzed up with Vin Diesel, he can grunt away. It, that works. <laughs> that worked for me in a way that previous movies have not. Like, I dig I really romance. like her character. I really like her. Yeah. I think uh, I think her character is a nightmare. Well, the That's them writing themselves into a corner and letting her be killed off kind of before they got the hang of the shared universe thing that they were going for. I don't know. It's what you do to get, them back in, to get her back in. This is what sitcoms did. This is like a bewitched plot with more cars. Oh, yeah, definitely. But here's, Bewitched here, with more cars. Put that on. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, here's a weird sensation. Now, I don't know if this is a, a successful thing or a phony thing or if we're allowed to come on this, but like there was finally a danger for one of these characters. Paul Walker's character can be killed off because he's not coming back for the next installment. And his uh, Brian O'Connor is put in a lot of peril, as he usually is in these movies. But for me, I felt this sensation. Like, this is real. He could die at any moment. And that upped the stakes for this movie. There's scenes where he's, like, going off a cliff in this bus that he's trapped in, trying to, like, scramble out before it throws over. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I won't tell people what happens at the end of that scene, but... I, I my heart was pounding. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, but I uh, and it certainly enhances the experience of watching the movie a little bit in its own morbid way. But I, I don't give any credit to the filmmakers for that. And when this movie is playing on a constant loop on cable and TBS for eternity, that will not be a factor because you will know what happens in the movie. And uh, so you, um, no I, credit to James Wan on this film whatsoever. Not oh no, I, I mean I think. I I th- was concerned that he would have no faculty for action filmmaking, and he has almost no faculty for action <laughs> oh. filmmaking. So you don't like his uh, flip cam that he does this oh, move several no. times yeah. where people get flipped um, over either into glass tables or just like head pound into the concrete, and he does this camera move that goes 360 degrees or I guess 180 degrees down and I love that move and he does it several times the, I'm like completely the caucus still mountain scene is very it's very well put together it hits all the beats totally works um 
everything else uh, is is not is second rate. I think Justin Lin was doing a very good job, even if I didn't love or like or could barely survive Furious Six. Um, I found his movies to just insist joy and not relish in in the concept, in the characters. I mean, what little characters we have. I don't really like the interstitial stuff, but he was so he he. He's like, every time we have a moment where we can go back into the body shop and just have these characters standing around talking about family, we'll take it because that's what this is. This is like, that's what these characters are. And I James Wan does away with that. Like, take these characters to different places and weave these character moments into it. I mean, I guess that's Chris Morgan who's been shepherding this series as a screenwriter since way back when. But not really. I mean, why I is it so terrible in other movies these, and, and not as good here? I don't know how you care about these characters. I think that... I don't um, care is a strong word. This is, this is passable stuff. It's pitched Towards you know at this rate, Furious Nine will take place in deep space with cars. I keep uh, that thinking about that. That would be body, fun. Uh, helmets. Um, I also think that the fast movies always benefit from opening in April, and people are starved for blockbuster entertainment. And uh, while I am loath to assign a quality to a movie uh, before I see it, I think that uh, it's in all likelihood if this came out after Mad Max, uh, people would be less excited about the. The you know vehicular mayhem. Um, I am not very impressed. You're not excited I for have, Mad Max, though. So I am certainly more excited for Mad Max than I was for this, or that I am for this now. Um, now that you I, I I think the Fast and Furious movies have peaked, not in their zeitgeist, but in their quality. Uh, and it's a shame, and uh, I don't really give a shit anymore. Well, I definitely still give a shit, and I will. Uh, I don't know. I enjoyed this immensely, and. I still think Fast Five is a high watermark, like David does. But I, there is there are very few kinds of large large Tokyo Drift <clears throat> doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't count anymore. I wonder if you know how they do in Tokyo. Uh, you, come on. Any last thoughts on? Yeah, I went in this movie feeling like I was going to loathe it because I've loathed all the other ones and uh, came out having a good time. Furious 7 is the best Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah, and you're not alone in that opinion. There are some people at our screening who are saying the same thing. So, world's a strange place, guys. Daddy's got to go to work. lightning round question yes it was in honor of a movie the two of you saw that i have i don't really know what it's about at all but it's in honor of dakota fanning and effie gray what child star are you still hoping to see break out as an adult what is effie gray it is a Maybe movie the one minute version. <laughs> about a woman who is married it, to a writer in the uh i don't know something it's about the England. horrors of marrying a critic yes that is david's uh pithy line and his review as a critic um it's not it's not <laughs> particularly good but i think dakota fanning is pretty good in it um which is why i wanted this to be the question and on a similar tack to dakota fanning Oh, man, I had it, and then I lost it. I am going with Aaron Hammond, who said, can I say Abigail Breslin? Give her the easy A treatment. And I think that uh, Abigail Breslin, I don't know where she's been lately. I feel like she's way overdue to uh, show up as a teenager. I mean, I guess she was in August Osage County, but who remembers that? Well, she's about I saw to her be in, riding uh, the Zamboni at a Ranger game like seven years ago. There we go. She's about to be in Maggie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, at the Tribeca Film Festival. So, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good times. Abigail Breslin, see oh, what you God. got. David? 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Lena Houst at Lena Houst who says Zoe Heron from the perfect film Tomboy. Uh, I think I've talked about Tomboy on the podcast before. It's probably still a Netflix instant. It's 80 minutes long. It's French. It's uh, the the best coming of age movie in years, including Boyhood. Uh, go watch it. We. Oui. Uh, I'm going to go with Kyle Turner at Tyle Kerner, who said Kiernan Shipka because Sally Draper is one of the biggest highlights of Batman, and uh, Kiernan Shipka was also in The Legend of Korra. Oh, was she really? Yeah, she voiced a very important character. So wow. I feel like she is definitely going to yeah. go places. Like, where could thinking, she not go? I was that? more thinking about former child stars who haven't quite had that moment, but because I, with Kiernan Shipka, I feel like there's no She's doubt. in some movie I saw recently. What was it? Yes, she is Bad. in something playing a Tribeca Film Festival, I think, or something. You're right. She's in an indie film. Oh, no, it played at South By. Look it up. Uh, yeah, I'm, but, hold on. Our readers have to know. Hang I on. I guess our, I'll, Stall, I'll banter. Don't vamp, worry. Vamp. Yes, well, I was going to say that uh, you're right, Katie. Oh, Katie she, I'm working, thinking so. of – she was in uh, the South By movie, which I have not seen. It's called One and Two. Uh, but what I was thinking of is she played Kimmy with a Y in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yes, she's so oh, good yes. in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Also, she voices I, – I was fortunate enough to see the Japanese – language version, but uh, IMDb tells me that she's voicing Marnie in the last Studio right. Ghibli film for the foreseeable future when Marnie was there. So maybe she's being sentenced to voice work. I don't I don't know if she's a great actress yet. Actually, on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, that's when I started questioning Kieran Oh, really? I, thought she I don't even know if she's a good actress, but she's good at Mad Men, so. She, she's amazing in Mad Men. Uh, and Bobby Draper, I'll, I'll, I'll pick you because you're already Which gone. Which Bobby Draper? I don't know. The first Bobby Draper. What happened to that kid? I don't know. Went back to school, I hope. He's probably okay. in there. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. Uh, next week, we're back to not summer movie season because it's still only April. Sorry. Uh, but we'll be talking about other things. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer of Esquire.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor of Large Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at... Uh, oi. Uh, time out US film and I'm Katie Rich you can find me at vanityfair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich K-A-T-E-Y R-I-C-H thank you for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week (laughs) 